you were to go out and ask folks on the street, what's the point of church? Why, why church? You would have a lot of different answers to that. Some would laugh. So I don't know. You tell me. What is the point of church? Some might bring out, well, you know, it's a, it's a great place to go to see how things used to be. It's a, a museum uh, to see how life has worked in the last 60-some years, but not really relevant today. It's, it's kind of a, a cultural exercise to, to see how things used to be. Or uh, perhaps might uh, say political uh, terminology. So well, it's, it's a good place to get conservative uh, political forces mobilized, and they see churches as, as a, a major political uh, group within our country. Then there's those who see the, the social institution of the church and think, well, you know, uh, church has some very good benefits. And I would say Green Pines, uh, we, uh, we've been blessed that we are trying to be a benefit uh, to the church, uh, to the community around. You say, well, you know, you go church and they have a, a food pantry that they do once a week and that's a helpful thing. Or they operate Mills and Wheels, uh, Pam uh, Pamela Hooks is in charge of that, and by the way, if you like to do Mills and Wheels, uh, Pamela Hooks is the person to talk to. They're always looking for folks, and, and they well, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to do, and uh, well, they, they do the preschool, and, and uh, the community knows about the church because of the, the preschool, and that's a great way to, to raise up children and uh, teach them some morals uh, early on in their life, which, by the way, we're praying about a preschool director. If that's something that's on your heart and mind, let us know. Uh, and and you, know, you think about these things that uh, the church has done. And you think, well, those, those are good things. But, you know, for others, it might be a place where you go for emotional needs uh, to say that I've got some encouragement emotionally in my life. And, and so I'm going to go to church and try to find a, a friend. For others, many American churchgoers, it's a place to get their, uh, their emotional boost, their spiritual boost for the week. And so they, they come in and they want a, a little bit of a pep rally to help them go. And so they're going to come back because they know by the, by Thursday, Friday, they can, they coast, they got the weekend. So they're going to come in for another pep rally on Sunday. Uh, and so they, uh, look at it as that. But when you read the Bible, you find something kind of interesting. Uh, I'm going to ask that we turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look today. Verse 14 and 15 and 16. Uh, we had, uh, before the Christmas break, uh, we're looking at 1 Timothy, ended on uh, chapter 2, finished up chapter 2. I'm going to skip just a, a little bit uh, because of the significance of this day, uh, the, the first verses of chapter 3, and go right to verse 15. I promise we will go back. Uh, and Those are important passages, the first part of chapter 3, and it talks about uh, pastors, elders, and, and deacons, and the qualifications of those. But because of this being the first Sunday of January, I thought it might be fitting for us to look at this passage today, it being the very point of the book. And as much as the Lord's put in my heart, I think the point for the year, as long as the Lord will allow me, um, this uh, day, uh, this Sunday, marks uh, an anniversary for me. Uh, I've now completed eight years uh, here at Green Pines Baptist. And so this is the beginning of, of nine. 
uh, right here on this week. And so um, I've said last year, this time, we're going new waters. This is places and, and experiences I've never experienced before uh, in a church, and, in, and this is the same for Green Pines, and that the pastor has, no, has not been there that same amount of time, or uh, in, I think six years might have been the longest pastor before. And so this is new experiences for us, and it's been uh, certainly true of uh, this past year. And one of the things I, I pleaded with from that time is to say, let's, let's learn from one another uh, and, and try to uh, be patient and, and see how God will work in each other's lives. And I've seen God do that. Uh, he certainly has been uh, working in my heart and life. I believe God is doing that in our church's life as well. Um, I'm very encouraged with the men's uh, retreat that we've got coming up here in just a couple weekends. Uh, I think we've got around 35 men, I think, is what the, the role is uh, on that time for prayer, uh, especially as, as a response to a need in our church. As we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we said right from the beginning, we, it gives us instruction that men are to pray. And this is something that most of us feel like we need to learn more about. And so uh, this time that we're going to set apart is, is to learn how to pray uh, together, uh, pray individually. We have Jerry White coming for that time. One of my personal prayers is that from this will be birthed an ongoing prayer ministry among our men uh, that can be born out of that time. And so when I read this passage, this passage, verse 15 especially, is kind of the, the crux scripture for me as I look at this year. And the things that I want to be doing as a pastor and what our church is to be learning, Lord willing. And so I thought it would be fitting on this anniversary Sunday, first Sunday of the year, to skip ahead just a little bit and look at this passage, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 16. And of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. You may be seated. As we look at this text, I want to focus on the last part, verse 16, before we go to verse 14 and 15. Verse 16 seems to be a hymn. Uh, you always wonder, what did the early church worship? What, how did they worship, and, and what was it like? Well, Scripture often uh, gives us some glimpses of the songs they would sing. And I believe that this is one of them. Uh, when he says in verse 16, if you notice, most of your translations probably has from uh, he was manifested in the flesh down, probably in brackets, to say that there's something a little bit different about this. And, and, the, and it is a, a hymn that they would sing, that they would profess with one another. And I, I love 
this glimpse of what early church worship was like. Because it, it's great teaching. One of the, the qualities of the worship of our church is that the music should be good teaching. Good theology to reflect about God. So that as you go through your day, and perhaps maybe a, 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 a verse comes to your mind, or some comes to mind, that with it comes promise, comes characteristic of who God is. Uh, one of the things we just sung in Great is Our God, it, it gives us the, the understanding of the personhood of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, how great is our God. It is to have a teaching component of it. And I love the fact that this hymn is about Jesus Christ. When we sing, what makes us distinct as a Christian church is that we sing about Christ. It hit me when I was in a Muslim country and, and, I was, and we were trying to uh, work with some of the people there and, it, and it, it dawned on me how many of our songs can be sung in a Muslim context. Just change the word from God to Allah, and it works. And I thought, you know, there, there's something wrong about that. If, if that is our predominant worship, then it lacks Christian characteristics. And if we are about Christ, if we're to preach Christ crucified, if we're followers of Christ, then we need to sing about Jesus. Sing about Christ. And, and notice what it does here. Sings about Christ. And, and so he goes, he was manifested in the flesh. And, and this is a, a word to the incarnation, that God came in flesh. And so here's the first thing you understand. As we read this text, it says simply that God shows himself to the world through Jesus Christ. That's the main summary of this song. God shows himself to the world through Jesus Christ. And so, he was manifested in the flesh. He was made known. The way it's introduced is this mystery of godliness. In other words, this thing that was hidden of God now is revealed through Christ. And the idea here is that Christ didn't come to be on Christmas morning. Do you understand that? Christ did not come to existence on Christmas morning. Christ always was in existence. There was never a time when Christ was not. And so, when we talk about incarnation, we're talking about Christ being revealed, taking on humanity, not coming in disguise, but becoming a human, becoming a man, was manifested. In, in John chapter 1, it says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so that's the understanding that Jesus is the revelation of God who is spirit. And so he is manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, are declared right, declared justified, to made to demonstrate who he is, it was done by the Spirit. And so, you remember when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that as he went into the water and came up, that the Spirit of God testified uh, that God the Father's voice came out from heaven and God the Spirit descended upon him and demonstrated in a way that folks could see. And in it, the voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He vindicated Jesus at the baptism up to this 30 years Part of that. But the most significant vindication came when Jesus was killed and placed into the tomb. And the Bible says that God raised up the Son from the dead to say to everyone that Jesus is not just a human. 
He's not a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is God in flesh, and the Spirit of God vindicates that in the resurrection. And so we keep on reading. They were singing about his resurrection. Uh, But what else did they sing about? Well, he was seen by the angels. Seen by the angels. It's interesting, when you look at the points of Jesus' life, we have the birth of Jesus attested to by angels. You have uh, the temptations of Jesus. uh, He was ministered to by angels after the times of of temptation. Uh, You see that also in the Garden of Gethsemane, that the angels ministered to him at that time. But I believe what's spoken about here, seen by angels, is speaking specifically to the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection being attested to by angels. They looked in and saw. They wanted to see what this redemption plan was. And it was given evidence to by angels. As they're writing this, there could have been witnesses saying, yeah, I remember hearing about the angels there sitting at the tomb. They were there. There were even people there who said, I saw those angels as this is being circulated around. And so they're seen by the angels, but proclaimed among the nations. And that's what you have as the church. They went from the moment of ascension, where the angels attested to that, and they were sent out by the Holy Spirit to go into the nations to proclaim who Jesus is and their response. Believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. Understand, what we have here in the Christian faith is not American. It's not Chinese. Even though there may be more believing Chinese than Americans. It's not uh, South American, where there's huge movements going on. it's, It's not European. It's not African. It's for the entire world. It's of God. And so it's to be believed on and is believed on in the world. And so then taken up in glory as to show the culmination of Jesus' time here on this earth that he's risen up to be with the Father sitting on the right hand. And so this is something they would sing about. And, and so Paul is, is bringing this to Timothy's mind. Remember, the world knows about God because of Christ. God is revealed to the world through Jesus Christ. Now, that is the premise for the other point, which you see right here as you read verses 14 and 15. He says, I want you to understand something about the church. I'm writing this because there's rules of conduct, there's behavior, there's, there's uh, authority structures that are determined based on who it is, on who this group is, this church. And he gives three pictures of the church. The household of God, the church of the living God, and a pillar and buttress of truth. You see, if God is revealed to the world through Christ, Christ is now ascended up to be with the Father. He's no longer here bodily. So now, Christ is revealed to the world through the church. God reveals himself. Through Christ to the world, Christ is taken up, but now Christ is revealed to the world through the church. Because of that serious task. And and so we ask this question, who is the church? What's important about the church? It's not a a museum. It's not even a social institution. It's not a political uh, force. 
is something more to it. It is what Paul says, the house of God. The house are the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. If this is true, then the church is the most significant influence in the world today. And so, do we know that? Are we aware of that? And do we commit ourselves to the church accordingly? I want you to know, Green Pines, that I have been blessed to be the pastor of this church for eight years. It has been a blessing for me, and it's been a blessing for my family. It is an honor to do that. It's something that God has called me to. And when I look at who we are as a church, I realize, because of this word, that the influence of Nightdale, Raleigh, and the world is hinged upon how this church acts. What does this church believe? How do we apply that in our life? Now, Let's look at this first metaphor, this first picture. Household of God. Household refers to family. We are God's family. Write that down. Green Pines is God's family. Sometimes you hear folks say, well, you know, being in the church is like a family. There is no like in that sentence. We're not like a family. We are a family according to the word of God. And so the question really is, do we act like a family? Not just any family, but God's family. Now, one of the key things is that a family is a family because they have common points. Common points. Biologically, we understand this, that there is a a father and a mother, that there is a a common point that we flow from. But then there is a love that is shared because of that, of that common point. And so for us to be a family, it means that for us to function correctly, we all must relate to God. We cannot be in this church spiritually and truthfully if we are not related to to God through Jesus Christ. You could go to church. You can attend church. You could come and sit on your pew every Sunday. And everyone know that that's your pew. That can happen. But you're not part of the church if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that cannot happen unless you Hold on and depend on Jesus Christ for your salvation and for your forgiveness. And that's all that you hold on to. Then you've got bases. Because until that happens, we do not have a common point. We must have a source of God through Jesus Christ to be part of that family. Now, if this is true, then we relate to each other as family members. How does a family work? Do you have a family manual? Do you have, when questions come up as to what you do, is you say, okay, well, hold on, children, let me take the family manual out, and we will read this. And we will abide by whatever this family manual policy tells us to do. If 
the question ever comes up, then what we would say, whoever the leaders are of that family, is, no, there is no family manual. I am your family manual. There are roles that play. There's a father, there's a mother. And so when we look at how a church is to operate and how it works, we go to the Word of God, but as, it's, as it reveals to us who God is. And that's why 1 Timothy 3 is so important to study, but also the entire book, as he says, I've written this so that you may know how to behave, how to conduct ourselves in God's family. With that thought in mind, I've committed, Lord willing, to finish 1 Timothy and then to go on and study Titus and 2 Timothy. All three of these letters are letters written by Paul to pastors, young pastors, with the same idea of how to conduct ourselves, how to order ourselves in God's family. And so that's where we'll be going for the next few weeks and months. As we look at this together, it's, it's for this reason also uh, that I want to take time with the leaders and those who want to be leaders in our church to study the word of God and learn what it says on what it means to be a leader and how leadership works in our church. Beginning in February, on Sunday evenings... I'm going to be inviting leaders and prospective leaders to meet here for that study. We'll be looking at 5.30 in the evening time. We don't have uh, Sunday evening services. That has been, um, been a part of our church since before I came. Um, this is not necessarily a service per se. It is a study. Um, and it was done originally, I think it was passed on, I think because we had two services back then, um, and it was to provide some time for families to get together as well as to minister in the community. I think it's a, a season in our church where we need some extra time to study the Word of God together. Not looking at tradition, not looking at how church has always done, but looking at what does the Bible say about how does church work. And I just would ask, if you are a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, like to be a deacon, like to be a Sunday school teacher, then set aside that time on Sunday evenings beginning in February at 5.30 for us to study together. For us to learn what it means to be God's family. Often, I've, I've observed, we often try to take parallels, we'll look at companies, we'll look at sports teams, we'll look at schools, and we'll look at how they structure, and we think, you know, the church ought to do the same. Here's the thing. The church isn't a school. The church is not a business. The church is not an organization. It's a family. And don't be surprised if there's differences from the Word of God and how we function, how we operate, how we relate. Now, there's some principles that are good in that we're dealing with people that can be applied, brought in. But we need to be careful that we look to God's Word to structure how we look 
at the church. The family of God. The household of God. Now, which is the church of the living God? Now, a better way of saying this is the living God's church. The living God's church. So what does that mean? That this church doesn't belong to me? This church doesn't belong to you. Why is it that the church came to be here? Some of you were involved in that actively. But I think most of you would say this church came to be here because God wanted it here. It was in God's heart to do that. And some of you had the privilege to be a part of that, of the initial start of it. That same privilege is extended to us to be a part of how this church works. But it is God's church. It has always belonged to Him. And when we think otherwise, we are in great danger. I'm keenly aware that my pastoring is always a temporary thing. Every pastorate is a temporary thing. There will be a day and time when someone else will pastor. And I will die or I'll be elsewhere. That is God's prerogative, His choosing. But the thing is that the church never is to be Jared's church, never to be Mike's church, never to be anybody's church, but God's church alone. And I love the fact that he is a living God. This church belongs to one who is active, who is aware, who is involved, and has desires in this place. So consequently, if we as leaders do not pray, we are in sin against the one to whom this church belongs to. He is a living God. Why is prayer dead? That should not be the case in our life. And that the first solution, and sometimes the only solution, is prayer. So many times we think of it as a good preparation for the real activity. Well, before we do this, let's pray. Sometimes it is the only thing we're to do. In trust and faith and seeking God's work. Sometimes more can be revealed after we pray. As to what to do. But the point I want you to understand is that as we sit here in 2013, there is a God who sees our heart even now. He is aware. And He wants to move in this church more than we want Him to. He wants to work through this church more than we want Him to. But He is living. And He has a heart for the people around us. When I read the Word of God, and it says that He is seeking and saves the lost that's still true today. And they are there are an awful a lot of people around, just three miles around here, that have no clue as to what it means to follow Jesus Christ. There are people around here that do not really know who Jesus Christ is. And you think that's absurd to think that happens in America. I'm telling you it happens here. And the only reason you don't know is because you haven't met them yet. They're here. They're around us. 
I've shared with us before that according to a survey done uh, May of 2012, there are 43,662 people residing in three miles around us. 43,662 people in three miles around us. And it's going to grow. Even with the financial setbacks of the last uh, four years, it's still grown. And it's still projected to grow by 3.9% or by 16.4% rather. And here's what I found when we do the uh, surveys in Mingo Creek, just neighborhood close by. They look different from me, by and large. Very different. They're African American, they're African. They're Asians of various varieties, Middle Eastern, and maybe one out of eight that I visited looked somewhat like me. But I look here this morning, and and most of us look somewhat similar. We need to understand what it means to be the church of the living God, that God wants to work around us. And use us to do that. How do I know? Well, look at the next phrase. Green Pines is the living God's assembly. We belong to him, but we're also a pillar and buttress of truth. Now, we read that and we think, oh, you know, I think we're okay. We're overreaching right here. I don't know if you've noticed your bulletin in the front of it. Green Pines, a house of the living God. Does that seem a little bit of an overreach? Well, if it is, it's only in our minds, because that's what the Word of God says that we're to be. What's the vision for our church? It's given to us in the Scripture. To be the house of God. To be the living God's church. To be... The pillar and buttress of truth. Now, a pillar and buttress of truth, the whole idea of a pillar and buttress is that it lifts something up. It supports something. Now, uh, in this letter, as it's written to the the church in Ephesus, uh, a pillar was a a very familiar idea. In fact, it was one of the the major symbols of the city and the the temple to Diana with the the massive pillars that were around. There was, in fact, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world, and it had 127 pillars Every one of the pillars was a gift of a king. All were marble, and some were studded with jewels and overlaid with gold. But they were given there to support and to display. When the Bible calls us as a church a, a pillar, a buttress of truth, that we are to display, we're to support, we're to lift up truth. Now, what is truth? As uh, was asked by Pilate, Jesus has answered that earlier, and the hymn alludes to, it's not a what, it is a who. We are to display, to support, to lift up truth in Jesus Christ. And the, the hymn goes on to sing about Jesus. And so, when we as a church think about it, we are to be as a support for Jesus in Nightdale. We are to buttress to be a pillar for the truth of Jesus Christ in this community, in this city, in the state, indeed in the world itself. 
we're to be lifting him up. And the sad reality is that there's some people, many fact, who are not really interested in Jesus because they've seen the people who claim his name. We are to lift up Jesus. How do we do that? Well, the good news is that the Spirit of Jesus is in our life. If we're called by Jesus, that's why it's so important for believers individually in a church to be submitted to the Spirit of God To let the Spirit of God work through them. Because if that's not happening, the church is not living up to what God's called it to be. A pillar and buttress of truth. This is something I want our church to understand. But I understand also that it can happen really through prayer. I'm going to teach the Word of God. Wednesday nights, beginning this Wednesday, I'll be teaching those who will come, and we'll be talking about the church. Imagine that. We're going to be looking at a a study that talks about the different aspects of the church as is given throughout the scriptures. And as we have been, at 6 o'clock, 6.30, anyone who would like to pray with the church will be here to pray. And I'll be here to do that. And we will talk together to our Father. Because we're to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, I like to bring out the last Sunday of the month being different and the Sunday evenings, or Sunday uh, afternoons, to set aside time for us to go out to the communities, especially Mingo Creek, and do our survey where we're learning about the community and praying for the community. Now, we've done this before in Love Out Loud. One of the things that happens when we do that is we learn about who the community is. We learn what the needs are. Our hope and prayer is that as we learn this, we'll be able to do something to bless that community. But what I've learned the times I've done this is that just knocking on the door and learning about folks and praying with them has been the ministry, has been the blessing. We've come across... Folks who, in talking to them, they'll sit there and cry with us. One lady said, I don't know when the last time someone just listened to me. It's been years. Thank you. And I thought, wow. How is it that that can happen? Right here in Mingo Creek. They've been here a number of years. That visited maybe 10 some years ago. But I had no idea they existed. One of the great dangers of a church is that we can be so caught up in the problems that happen in our church. And our focus gets on the problems of our church and it starts a downward cycle. 
being inward focused. The church was never birthed to be looking at itself. The role of the Spirit is to glorify the Father and the Son. If we are to be the body of Christ, and the Spirit of God does that, how much more should the church be doing that? To be focusing on God the Father and Christ the Son, and to be the bridge to the community, to be the pillar and buttress of the truth, to be able to present to Nightdale, to present to Mingo Creek, to present to the various neighborhoods and say, here is Jesus, and you can't see him anymore. He's ascended to the Father, but he's left me, and he's left our church, and we want to demonstrate Christ to you. That's what we're to do. What's the goal of students' ministry? The same thing. To help the students understand the truth of Jesus Christ, that Christ might live in them to promote and lift up Jesus in their schools. Same for our children's ministry, same for our seniors' ministry. In our small groups, it is the same idea to teach us what it means to follow Christ, to present Him to a watching world. As we have asked the deacons to help us on our Sunday evenings. Our first one will be January 27th, this month. We're going to meet together. That will be at 4.30. We're going to meet by 4.45. We're going to be out. And we're going to do the survey work. Some of you are not able to walk. You're welcome to come and pray. We did this something like this some time ago called the care ministry. It can very well be part of that again. Beginning of February, teaching leaders, what does it mean to be a spiritual leader? What does it mean to be a church? Sunday evening at 5.30, first, second, third Sunday. Fourth Sunday, we're going to go out and be a pillar and buttress of the truth. Presenting Jesus Christ. Well, when we finish Mingo Creek, what are we going to do? Well, the Lord's given us another neighborhood. In fact, the Lord's given us 43,662 people and three miles around us. There's plenty to do. There's plenty to do. But what we need to present is Christ. Will we show him? I've shared that it's been my blessing. It's been my honor to be a part of this church body. Some of the greatest things that can happen is when I see a person come to saving truth of Jesus Christ. Or then once knowing Jesus Christ growing in Jesus Christ and capturing the heart that Jesus has for the world around him. It blesses my heart. It blesses the church's heart when that happens. As a church, I want you to understand what you're sitting in right here, this is family time. When we come together and worship our Father, this is family time. But when we're the church is when we're out 
displaying truth. Showing Jesus Christ as a buttress and pillar. A church is not a building. It is a people. Are you related? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And do you know God as your Father because of Jesus Christ? Do you know what it means to have your sins forgiven? To have grace in your life? Do you know what it means to have the Spirit of God working in your life and surrendering to Him? No longer resisting Him. Surrendering to Him. If you know what that means, then you can be a part of this church body. But the church body is not to be an institution. This is the living God's church. What would it look like for the living God to be moving among a people? It is a movement that is spreading and can spread. And what we have to identify is those areas that keeps us from spreading. Focus on God. And what God can do for the person around you and your community. My prayer, Lord willing, is at the end of this year that there is a body of leaders in our church that knows scripturally what it means to be a church and to lead in that church. Not from tradition, but from what scripture says. My goal for this year, Lord willing, is that we be the church and that we've finished Mingo's Creek, and that we've knocked in every home, prayed with every person that will let us pray, hear from them what needs to be done, let God direct us on what can be done in that community. And I'm going to be looking for a few men that I can teach what it means to follow Jesus Christ. There are some of you that are interested in that. Let me know. I've got my mind on a few of you. But I want to take some time to do that. Men, some of you already knows what it, knows what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Who do you have that you are encouraging in the faith? Who do you have that you're teaching about Jesus Christ. If you are in our church. On membership. But you're not part of a small group. Why not? Why do you not want to seek. About God. Learn about God. With a body of folks. Who are imperfect. Who make mistakes. Who will insult you. But where else are you going to go? They're all going to do that. Why are you not in that body. Of small groups. To learn about Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ. But you're not a part of a body. A church. You've said I want to commit myself. I sense God leading me to be a part of this church. Why are you not doing that? What keeps you back from doing that? God wants to do a great work. In Nightdale. I'd love for Green Pines to be a part of it. God's going to do a work here. He's going to do a work in this world, and he's continuing to work. The question is, will we be a part of it? Lord willing, as long as the Lord allows me, I want to be here and doing it with you. I'm blessed to be your pastor. God and God alone knows how long I'm here.
but I'm committed to be here as long as God will have me. Let's pray.